HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's September 16th, 2014. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We have some great guests in the room tonight. We're talking with Patrick Rue from The Brewery, uh, the editor of Beer Advocate Magazine, and some other great guys from Beer Craft and New News Chocolate and beyond. So, uh, Ben Keen from Beer Advocate, welcome, man. Congratulations. Thanks, Jimmy. You know, great I've, to be back. I've known you for many years as a beer writer and... Uh, now you've got the big title. You're the what, managing editor? That is correct. I'm not sure I would call it a big title, but it's a title. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to lean on you a lot tonight. You're going to be uh, helping ask questions. We've got a special guest in the room. We've got Patrick Rue, one of our favorite brewers uh, from the brewery in uh, California. How are you, man? What's up, Jimmy? Doing pretty good. How about you? You're here barnstorming the East Coast, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Seeing all my favorite people. All right. And we've got Ben from Beercraft, one of our buddies. Hey Jimmy, how's it going? And Ben, you're out there. What you're making beer systems? You're yeah. You know, it's no. I'm 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 uh, I'm no longer with Beercraft. Uh, I uh, just opened a company called Pro Black Draft Innovations, and we're doing all sorts of like counter pressure systems, like you know, draft consulting, kind of bringing bringing New York to the top end of uh, of dispensing. Like, well, you're awesome, liquid. man. I've seen you do everything from be a chef to a farmer to a. Innovate with the first growler fill systems in New York. So. For sure, for sure. Welcome to the show. All right, so Ben, let's. Uh, we're we're going to talk to Patrick Rue to start this off. Um, you know, so what what brings you to the the East Coast, Patrick? It's always a pleasure having you here. Well, thank you. Uh, beer brings me here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we went to uh, the Captain Lawrence uh, Soured in September uh, festival, which was uh, really cool, a lot of fun. And uh, we did a big uh, kind of a tap takeover. Not quite a tap takeover, but a uh, nice 40 lines of our beer uh, at Ginger Man uh, last night, which was a lot of fun. Only 40 lines. Only 40 lines, yeah. It's the biggest uh, event we've ever done. Uh, our tasting room has 40 draft lines, but rarely fills them up. So it was fun. Well, it's pretty cool. I mean, you had a section in the back. If you've, if you've ever been to the Ginger Man, it's on 36th Street in Manhattan. You know, there's a nice big bar up front, but there's a little room in the back. And you were doing some kind of a tasting there or a pairing event? Yeah, we paired uh, six of our beers with um, some delicious cheeses. I did my best to uh, come up with the cheese pairings. Uh, it was, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, we, we've had some, some great great beers of yours the other day. I tasted the sour and the rye for the first time. and um, But the stuff you had last night, I mean, you had like 18% stouts. You know, I, I didn't realize really how, how much of a selection of beer you have. And I know, I know Ben... Ben and Ben have probably had more of your beers than I have, but tell us about your whole program because you're really doing. I think you're doing a, like a very unique thing, and everyone knows that is listening. So, thanks. Uh, yeah, we make about seventy different beers a year. Um, we a lot, most of these go to our uh, club members. We have a few different beer clubs, and uh, it's um, 
So any anything from huge imperial stouts aged in bourbon barrels for over a year to uh, sort of lambic-like creations. Uh, Flemish Red is one of our uh, Udtart is one of our uh, favorite beers, and we make a huge variety. Nothing we try not to make uh, anything that's uh, too uh, typical. So we don't make IPAs. Uh, we don't make any entry level beers. Uh, <laughs> we have we have the rest of uh, the. 3,000 plus brewers in America doing that for us. So we just try to do stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, I'm curious to know um, whether or not this is a good segue. That's debatable. I'm curious to know about your new um, project that uh, you announced earlier this summer where you're going to be focusing on sours and, and more farmhouse styles. Yeah, um, so we're opening up. Which I can't pronounce. (laughs) (laughs) Open up. uh, It's uh, Brewery Teru. Teru means earthy in French. So these are kind of earthy driven flavors, whether it be fruit uh, that we're adding to the Britannomyces uh, uh, wild yeast that we add. Um, So, oh. (laughs) Switch mics, guys. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, from a logistical standpoint, it makes a lot more sense to. Um, have uh, our wild beers made in one location. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> on separate bottling lines, separate bright beer tanks, and uh, allows us to have a separate staff that's only doing sour and funky beers and really develop that specialty. You know, it takes a lot of specialized knowledge to, uh, I think, uh, do these styles really well. I think we do a, a really good job right now, but I, th- I think we could do better if uh, that's all that they were focused on. What what made you want to pull the trigger, you know, in 2014 to jump into this in a bigger way? Well, uh, probably the biggest thing is that we needed to upgrade our bottling line. So we got it put in a, we're in the process of putting in a very expensive bottling line for our clean beers or non-sour beers. And uh, this allows us to take our current bottling equipment and move that over to the sour side. So it's, yeah, it's all about money, really, (laughs) just spending lots of money. (laughs) <laughs> and Ben, you know, in many years at Beercraft, I mean, you've you've probably tasted more beers than anyone in this room. Um, yeah, well, know? I mean, that's debatable. Uh, well, yeah. but I drink a lot of beers. Uh, but uh, yeah, we were. I mean, we were. Uh, we did your release in New York when you guys came to New York about six years ago. I mean, we had we had a pin of Cuvée Jeune. Which was just the jam, man. That beer was <laughs> outstanding. And also, we've seen like the breath, you know, the, the the breath of beer too. Like everything, everything from like, like you were saying, you're like sour reds and sour browns and high alcohol things, all the way down to that IPL that you guys make, that lager that's as hoppy as any IPA out there. Which, you know, as far as entry level beers go, um, not necessarily an entry level. Kind of blows the doors off entry level, but that is that is your uh, that is that is an outstanding hoppy uh, offering. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, for all practical purposes, it's an IPA, but uh, it's not because we use lager yeast, you know. <laughs> and we put in ten percent rice just to you know give it that American lager punch. You know, g- going back six years, Patrick, tell us about you know when you first came to the New York market. I remember seeing you at one of the, the first New York City Beer Weeks, and we, I think we featured your beer once at Jimmy's Number 43 then. Yeah. But what, what brought you to New York City, and what, what's it like for you, you know, being part of this marketplace and the different beers that you send here that you don't send, you know, that, that, that you don't send, you know? Right. Uh, New York's a super important market for us uh, as far as having just a, a ton of people. Uh, it's, uh, you know, a lot of influencers, so um, it's amazing, you know, we... Uh, wanted to come early early on in our uh, life as a brewery. We were in New York. I think uh, we were probably like eight months old when we uh, uh, came in. Um, and I think it's a crucial part of our success is getting our beer to people who uh, you know write about it, talk about it. You know, I'm here today uh, probably <laughs> because it's uh, you know because we made that decision. Um, so thank you, New York. <laughs> All right, man. Well, cheers. What's the beer that we're drinking? Yeah. So we're drinking Mocha Wednesday. This is uh, Black Tuesday. Cheers. Uh, with uh, coffee from Portola uh, Portola Coffee and uh, or Portola Coffee Lab in uh, Costa Mesa, not too far from us. And uh, coconibs from uh, Cho in San Francisco. I think they're Ecuadorian coconibs, but uh, we have a chocolate guy here, so I don't want to talk too much about chocolate. It seems stupid. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, pretty fun beer. Uh, I believe high 18s, maybe 18.7%. We've only made this beer once, um, and we will be making it again. Ben, have you, have you ever had something like this before? Was it eight? We had this last night at the Ginger Man. It's 18% stout. Mm. Definitely not, no. <laughs> and you, Ben? Ben it stands ben? out for yeah, sure. Yeah, it definitely stands out. I mean, uh, there's other big stouts out mm-hmm. there, but also like the coffee and chocolate and like just all this kind of like other, you know, bigness to it. It's, 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 but how do you make a, how do you make a beer like this? It's 18%. It's a stout. It's really good. Thanks. Uh, we do a, so during the boil, the no sugar goes in. It's just all malt. Uh, so a ton of, um, Carafa three and use probably eight different malts. I can't remember what they all are, but, um, Essentially, we start out with a, a lower gravity than what we want to get to, um, and we during fermentation, that's when you know, the magic happens. We're adding um, sugar or some sort of sugar source every day, um, so we're letting the yeast uh, kind of reduce uh, osmotic pressure, the, you know, the pressure of uh, essentially sugar uh, against the uh, yeast cell, allowing you know it to convert alcohol, and we'll add sugar. So kind of a gentle process, uh, getting that yeast uh, super drunk. Um. <laughs> <laughs> What's and this uh, pixie dust here on the label? Is that something? I'm just messing around. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So is, is it like adding candied sugar, like the way they do in some some Belgian strong beers? Yeah. Well, we uh, yeah, it's similar in that it you know is going to lighten the flavor um, and uh, increase alcohol, and uh, we'll recirculate the beer uh, with a pump to keep the yeast in suspension. We're adding oxygen during fermentation. Maybe just crack it once a day just to keep that those yeast happy. Yeah, adding oxygen during fermentation is usually not a good thing to do, but for these <laughs> beers, kind of needs it. And some uh, yeast nutrient, and we, you know, do yeast viability a few times a day just to make sure that the yeast is uh, is still happy. And Ben Granger, you know, you're a great home brewer. Have you ever made a beer this strong before? Uh, no, I I don't really. Um I don't, uh, home brewers, it's really hard to make this kind of a beer, just like Patrick was saying, because there's so much, so much um, yeast care that goes into it. Like he was saying, you know, extra O2, incremental feedings, kind of keeping the yeast up in suspension. You're actually, I mean, you're kind of getting yeast to do something that it's just not really naturally doesn't want to do. I mean, you know, think about it for a second in the terms of like what it would be like to live in an environment that has 18% your own waste. You know what I mean? So, like, getting yeast to, like, be happy and still eat and still reproduce and still, like, and still make alcohol is pretty tough for for homebrewers uh, to make that clean of yeah, 18%. Yeah. You can you can get it up there. There's, you know, stillers, yeast, and all sorts of stuff. There's tricks that you can do, but, like, still getting it, like, that clean and that drinkable and also with um, – because this is this is I mean it's a beautiful beer it's eighteen percent. Does not seem like an eighteen percent? Yeah, that's the thing. The higher alcohols are not. I mean, when when somebody gives you a beer and they're like, hey, you know, this is you know X and X percent of alcohol. At a certain point, you're just going to taste alcohol. You're going to taste the alcohol no matter what. But this one is particularly clean. And there's no you know higher alcohols that oftentimes come with you know a, a beer that is on the plus side of ten percent. You know, there's no uh, no, no nothing. Nothing crazy there, but which is hard to produce, like near impossible to produce at home. Yeah, I think aging is an important part of that. For sure, the conditioning. Yeah, these beers are often quite hot and not not delightful uh, out of the fermenter, and then uh, after you know twelve months plus in a bourbon barrel, um, the edge is really taken off. <laughs> it's a nice example. I mean, I think that some people have used barrel aging as like a, a crutch, and uh, this is one that I really like. So oh, good. Thank yeah. you. What do you think, yeah, Ben? I mean, you're so. out there uh, with Beer Advocate, and are, are a lot of people doing what Patrick's doing, or is he really like a step no. above everybody else? <laughs> uh, no. Um, I do think, and, and this is an example that sets them apart, but I don't think, um, in by and large, um, people are uh, not quite as wide-ranging. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have to say, I don't think... There's a predominance of brewers this creative that dial it in like this beer is. Um, and, yeah, I mean, even your point about barrel aging, I think a lot of people um, 
you know, it's it's a way that you can get uh, people excited about your beer. But I think a lot of people kind of yeah, it's like rush why, it. why barrel age an okay beer just so it tastes like whiskey? I mean, because really. you can sell it for more money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the suckers, come on, yeah, they're not guys in this room. Come on, <laughs> this is in the steam. We've got we've got, we got Phil. He's a rep from Union Beer. His job was driving Patrick around all day. So, Phil, where did you take Patrick? Um, all over Brooklyn, started up north, went to Torst, uh, swung by Dirk the Norseman, new brew pub that's opened up in Greenpoint, then went down south, went to Bargrade Harry, uh, Beercraft, Double Windsor. So you're like his body man, right? Pretty much. So if he's the president, you're the, the guy that plays golf, <laughs> you know? Oh, uh, man, bullet. Phil's taking a bullet. <laughs> good, good cop, bad cop. <laughs> So what what are like when you go to these accounts? So that's part of your job. You take them to accounts who buy his beer. What do they want to know about Patrick? I mean, they're just like they love his beer. I mean, what's a typical interaction when you go to these accounts? Pull back um, the curtain, Phil. Pull back the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, a lot of the places that I go to, they're already very well familiar with the brewery, and you know, kind of sub. Beer sells itself. This stuff is all really fantastic, especially the Smoke of Wednesday. This is really nice. Um, but, I mean, just today, for example, it's like getting to introduce him to all the people that are humongous fans of his beers. So pretty much going around and to be happy enough to drive with him for a day. So, And then where are you going after the show? Uh, I am deciding whether or not I'm going to go to the Guilty Goose for the event tonight. But I was out pretty late at the Ginger Man last night. So, so what, what's at the Guilty Goose tonight? Um, I don't know. It's what I think seven draft lines from the brewery. Some some more of the limited release stuff that you know we don't generally get out here. And I think people are going to be bringing some of their vintage bottles from like you know their own cellars and kind of a bottle share slash brewery event with Patrick being there. So wow. Well, how do you guys? This, I mean, this is what I want to get the gist of: is how do you guys set this up? I mean, Patrick came to New York, you know, and suddenly in in three or four days, there's all these really cool events. I mean, is that what you guys are doing as distributors, um, in, or is he doing that himself? No, he says no. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Patrick, your experience. Because <laughs> it is kind of cool. It's like the journey of you know, you're you're a brewer, you're based in Orange County, California, but when you come when you go somewhere, people really turn out. Yeah, our distributor uh, union uh, does a fantastic job from planning, from, well, you know, initially having an idea, hey, let's see your tasting room, essentially, at the Ginger Man, to, uh, you know, coordinating, uh, I don't know, with, with the account. So uh, it's it's awesome. We, we don't uh, have any sales reps as a brewery, so we uh, really rely on distributors to kind of make these events happen and Guys at the gender, I mean, I didn't do anything. I, I showed up. Uh, I did it well. I put together a cheese pairing, but uh, some of my employees, uh, you know, figured out how to get all these kegs there, and um, uh, you know, it was a lot of work for someone. But I'm not going to take credit. Well, we're having a lot of fun. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. we got a great event coming up, uh, co-hosted by Slow Food USA, Heritage Radio Network, and Roberta's The Silver Snail, 25 Years of Slow Food. It's been 25 years since Carlo Petrini and a group of activists launched a peaceful revolution to defend regional traditions, good food, gastronomic pleasure, and a slow pace of life. The slow food movement has since evolved into a comprehensive approach to food that recognizes the strong connections between plate, planet, people, politics, and culture. Today, this movement involves thousands of projects and millions of people in more than 160 countries worldwide. Join us for a dialogue between Slow Foods founder Carlo Petrini and Locavore activist Alice Waters as they reflect on the evolution of the food movement and all things slow. That's Friday, October 3rd from 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. One of the great things about being in the studio is that we're in the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, and both Patrick Rue and his uh, 
his body man from Union Beer are chowing down on pizzas right now. So, so uh, Ben Granger, our, 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 our man on the street, our, uh, our ultimate beer expert of homebrew, draft systems, growlers, and all that. What, what, what were you commenting on about? You know, uh, one of the things I, I was always, always remarked on is when you guys came to New York, it was kind of a clutch time, especially for, for the style of beer that you were producing in New York. I mean, if you go back 10 years as a bottle shop, uh, we, you know, 10 years ago, I would have a door full of Cantillon and people would return them telling me that they had gone bad, you know, but at the time that you guys hit New York, it started, you know, right around that time in the Northeast and especially in New York City, started the buzz of what it meant to have, to brew Flemish Red, what it meant to make, you know, sour beer, what it meant to have these kind of uh, bigger, larger, and especially the, the wilder, the sour styles. And so I think one of the one of the things is when you guys hit the market here, um, the takeoff was was incredible because it was almost coincided. You know, it was almost like two months before the market was like, "Hey, we're ready for sour beer." The market at large, and I don't mean I don't <laughs> and, mean and just, you're right. You know, you're right. It was also around the time the first New York Beer Week started. And Ben Keen, you, you've been around a long time. What, what's yeah. your take on all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I really agree. Actually, I used to live... Because uh, Patrick's eating pizza right now. ...down the block from Beer Craft ah. 10 years ago. Fourth Avenue, Garfield. Ah, that was base. my go-to place. Um, and, yeah, there was a time when, you know, every bodega didn't have, um, you know, trade winds <laughs> or whatever sitting on the shelf. And you could go to one place uh, or, you know, another place in Manhattan to find those rare things. And it's just been like... You know, oh, it's nothing but up yeah. since then. Watch it. Yeah. T- ben Keen, tell us the names of some of the brewery beers because there's so many. Oh, geez. I don't know. I'm triple. the best person to Going way back. rattle them all off. Uh, there's Hottenroth, or- if, or- if I'm pronouncing Orchard it correctly. Orchard yeah. something. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's kind of a dazzling array. A lot of breweries, um, you know, as we were saying at the top of the show, you know, you're an, you're an IPA brewery. You are... Um, you know, you're focusing on the darker end of the spectrum and you're doing brown ales and stouts and porters and that kind of thing. Um, like a left hand, right? Yeah, you're, yeah. you're you know, a German wheat beer brewery or whatever. But um, uh, there are not a lot of people who are bold enough um, and, you know, confident enough and talented enough to just say, like, you name it, we'll do it. Right, <laughs> right. Ben Granger, you t- tell us some of the other names of the oh, different I mean, breweries. You know, it's an ode to brewery. Yeah, there's like, yeah, I mean... The, there's the whole Christmas series. There was the uh, the O Tart. Well, the O Tart and uh, was it Black Tuesday? Black Tuesday. Saison de That the uh, the rye saison that you guys make that is like yeah autumn maple. Yeah, the autumn. You're still maple. eating, Patrick. You can't. You guys talk. let me know if you need any help. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, eating pizza. <laughs> Patrick, Patrick came early. He's been traveling all day. He's been doing sales calls, and now we're letting him eat his pizza. But he, he wants to talk. Saison de Lent. Saison de Lent was like... One thing great about Patrick Rue is that your beer really does speak for you. And, you know, like we've talked about... carefully. Listen carefully. I think carefully. last night we talked about authentic... Like, we were at Ginger Man, and there are a lot of beer guys there. Authenticity in beer. And, you know, something about someone like Patrick Rue, who, who he's... You know, they, 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 what, they walk the talk. Is that it? Or talk the walk. But whatever you do, you make the beer, and, and it speaks for you. But there, there are other guys that are coming out, and they haven't really established themselves. And this is an important point about beer right now. Everyone's getting into beer. It's like, oh, I met some guy. I'm not going to say this on there. I met a guy who's like suddenly told me that, oh, by the way, you know, I've been doing whatever I've been my whole life, but my family can back me for $3 million, and I've never made beer and never done anything before. And so it's kind of like, you know, there's the other side of breweries where it's like, whoa, suddenly everyone wants to make a craft brewery. I mean, there's eight people that have contacted me about opening a brewery in New York City. That's and crazy. <laughs> the thing is, the different like with, with, with Patrick, you know, his beer speaks for itself. And uh, I think that's why we're letting you eat and we're talking for you. Cause, Excellent. But what are some of the other I'm trying names? Trying to think of the some names of, the names of, these of beers. Because you've, you've must have made, what, 100 beers? Uh, I think we have something like, I want to say 220 beers or... I mean, things that have names, essentially. So they could be like one single cask treatment, but you got to give it a name, right? Everything needs a personality. It doesn't no exist how, without uh, a name. Yeah, exactly. Let's pick like three. Okay, so Autumn Maple. That's a great beer. When did you first make that? Uh, we first made that. So we opened up, uh, essentially started selling beer in May of 2008, and that was uh, released in September of 2008. So pretty early So that's on. something where 
You, you got it to a high alcohol strength, but there's yeah. great flavor. That, that that have anything to do with the oh. maple syrup? It's no? only ten percent. That's to me. That's, that's no high, big though. deal. Come on, Session. double digits. We're Session pure bear. sessions radio, yes. but but really, like, to you, that, but for us, that ten percent, it, it's so smooth and, and and great. Yeah, I think uh, it's partly due to our yeast strain. It's super high attenuating, meaning it uh, ferments everything that it can, leaves very little residual sugar, but produces really nice esters, which increase the. It, it seems like it's a sweet. It seems like it has sugar left, but it's uh, really these esters that um, that leave that perception of sweetness. And then, yeah, maple syrup leaves some really nice kind of woodsy flavors. We use yams, which have a nice sweet flavor. Um, we don't use a lot of bitterness, so um, the balance of the beer leans more towards sweetness than um, than not. But uh, by having it attenuate, it still is fairly dry. Doesn't you know? It's not sticky. Um, so they're strong but uh or a lot of our beers are strong but uh, somewhat easy to drink all right <laughs> and then who wants to ask him about another beer all right saison de lent yeah that beer's that beer is the stuff man like one of the early um, one of the early like saison americans you know what i mean like uh, as, as far as like a benchmark saison american well, excellent yeah uh saison de lent yeah he's a pretty simple base but, of just two rows. Tell, tell us the story oh. how, how you made how did you come up with that beer Saison de Lent. Uh, I do not remember. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, is that what's your? Pro- I mean, your process though is next question. Do you guys mess around? <laughs> no, I mean, are you making? Do you make a pilot batch first? How do you come up with a recipe for your new beers? How about that? Yeah. Uh, well, back in the day, we would brew ten gallon batches, pretty much on my homebrew system, and uh, if they tasted somewhat okay, we would go with it because we found they were so different from brewing it on our small system versus our large system uh there was a lot of a lot of differences uh today we have a three barrel uh pilot system that uh has you know all the features that our large system has so we're able to brew a beer and it will you know we'll scale it up and it'll taste the same on the larger system uh so it's really valuable we have a full-time experimental brewer who does all these pilot what, beers. What's that person's name? Uh, Andrew Bell. All right, Andrew. Andrew, woo. Good job, buddy. All right. <laughs> you got some, why don't you give a shout-out to a couple of your other team members? Because I know you have a great great thing going on there. Yeah. Uh, Tyler King's our director of brewing operations. Does a fantastic job. Uh, I don't want to single too many people out because then I'll be ignoring people. But we have, <laughs> I think, uh, close to 55 or around 55 uh, wonderful employees that are just uh, – make uh, my job very easy so thanks guys so and you said autumn maple you guys had you put yams in it too so you're saying yeah. you'll never make a crappy pumpkin beer <laughs> <laughs> what about pump- let's go to amen ben keen and ben what about pumpkin beers uh, i mean really? that's a whole show to itself man but that's like I, why do the people make pumpkin beers uh, uh, they sell I mean, really well how, like how do you yeah, how do you explain that without incredibly offending a whole bunch of people you know what i mean like yeah, they sell really well. You guess, guys yeah. are the beer experts. Now, pumpkin, I mean, pumpkin, it does. It sells really, really well. People start asking for pumpkin beer in August, and so there are some breweries that then deliver pumpkin beer in July, which, I mean, I keep a pretty serious garden, man. My pumpkins ain't ready in July, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. You're the first person to ever talk about hops on this show, too. Uh, yeah, for ago. sure, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ben? I mean, are you... You want to talk about pumpkin beers? Yeah, I think, I mean, um, I, I kind of am of the opinion that pumpkin beers aren't necessarily about the beer. It's about, you know, marketing it for the season, and it's about a an ingredient that people understand. Like, even people who aren't really adventurous beer drinkers will buy and try a pumpkin beer, you know, with the freaking cinnamon around the rim of your glass or whatever. And um, I think... That's what a lot of companies are tapping into. People think, you know, fall and holidays and, you know, Christmas and whatever, and it's these flavors, and that's what it's about. It's not a yeah. beer thing to me so much. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the beer companies, they, like, they tap the, uh, a feeling. They tap like, Absolutely. that sense of, like, you know, the season's changing and that kind of thing. The and smells they, wafting yeah, from mom's exactly. oven. Yeah. Like Thanksgiving, all of these, and Halloween, all of these great things that – are we're all nostalgic for, you know, and it's it's this, you know, I guess the sad part is is that you know 
fall time is hop harvest, you know? And so I always thought, like, hey, fall beers should be these really big wet IPAs. <laughs> but the market at large just doesn't know. They're like, you know, they, they, they just don't know. You know, though, it is Sad. coming to that because, like, just last weekend, uh, Barry delivered to me uh, the Hoplantic, which was a very super fresh. It was a pale ale with this, like, subtle dose of wet hops. And I drank it all weekend. It was so sweet. And I, I, I've been a big fan of, and I know you are, too, mm-hmm. Of these fresh or, or, or wet hop beers, you know, in the fall, do you get access to any fresh hops or wet hops, Patrick? Yeah, we do. Uh, they're extremely expensive. <laughs> you pretty much have to <laughs> FedEx them overnight to reach us in time. To uh, uh, they're yeah, they're pretty much going to spoil within you know forty eight hours. So you got to use them it, super quick. So if you if you have or, or will make a, like a wet hop beer, what would your approach be? I mean, well, we make a few wet hop beers a year. Um, pretty much the hops come in at pretty random times. They're on all harvested at the same time. So we'll do single hop um, uh, on our pilot system. So it'll, uh, you know, it's very manageable. Um, and we, so for bittering, we'll typically use pellet hops because uh, the, uh, the wet hops are so expensive that uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense and you know, who cares where the bitterness really comes from <laughs> uh, we'll fill up uh, essentially all the aroma hops come from filling up our mash ton with those hops they take up a huge amount of room and we essentially use our mash ton as a hop back going on, uh, on its way to the heat exchanger that's that gives awesome you, it's a really nice aroma that's right. awesome uh, mash ton hop back yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty that's pretty serious that's pretty like we, I like you were nonchalant. You were like, ah, you know, we just we just fill the mash tun with hops. Man, we, <laughs> we use that as a hop bag. That's it. That's all. You got yams. You got fresh hops. And what, why do people call it? Some people call it fresh hops. Some call it wet hops. Oh, well, I think the the fresh hop term. Um, I think Sierra Nevada, which is a one of my favorite breweries, uses that term for uh, more like recently dried uh, hops. So. They are, you know, really fresh and really, you know, delicious. Where the wet hops are, you know, still wet. That's uh, pretty much all drop. All hops need to go through a drying process. Um, otherwise, they won't last more than two days. They get mildewy. So uh, fresh hop meaning, you know, but something that the, was just recently. So the flavor, dried. the wet hop versus the fresh hop, the flavor is very different, isn't it? Yeah, I think with the wet hop, you're getting a lot of chlorophyll, um, so you get a very green flavor. You get all, the hop oils are all there. You know, the drying process is going to uh, volatize some of those uh, wet or some of those uh, oils. But personally, I I prefer uh, fresh hops over uh, wet hops. Wet. Yeah, and uh, the wet hops too. The, uh, with fresh hops, you can start to finish with fresh hops. With wet hops, if you start to finish with with wet hops, I mean, in the brew process, it it comes out tasting like plants. At the end of it, yeah, you know, it's like you get so much chlorophyll that you're just like, oh, this tastes, this tastes like my like my yard, grass my clippings. long clippings, <laughs> delicious. Well, then we're talking about wine. You know, there's wines that are smell like grass, but uh, best grapes are best consumed fresh. We need one. It, I think Jack, we need one of those sound effects where I can just tap my fingers, then you do like the to tap tap. You have like a cymbal or drum sound effect. Oh, Jack's you mean you mean a rim shot? Kind yeah. of something like that. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're, I don't know what it is. We're in a very fancy radio studio, Heritage Radio Network. And by the way, if you haven't been a member, you should join Heritage Radio Network. All well, right, thank you. Let's take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Talk more about Patrick Rude, the brewery, good beer, and we'll start having some beer and chocolate pairings on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, yeah. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. 
Take the great beer test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Pizza. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Assassins Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Patrick Root from the brewery is here. He's chowing down on Roberta's Pizza. Ben Keene, the new editor of Beer Advocate. Congratulations, and uh, Ben Granger, our buddy. And a new guy walked in, Andy, our good buddy from New New Chocolate, one of the finer chocolate establishments in New York City. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so first, uh, Patrick, we've been drinking your mocha beer. Tell us about it, because, again, I've had some crazy beers from you the last two days. So this is one of the craziest. Yeah. Uh, so we got uh, we have real chocolate. And we have uh, liquid chocolate going around. Um, so Mocha Wednesday is made for just our hoarder society members. So, uh, but uh, well, not too many folks get to get to try the beer. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> Was that a joke? Or are they actually called the hoarder society? <laughs> they actually are called the hoarder society. <laughs> so we have a club called the Reserve Society, and um, this uh, hoarders kind of. Some of these guys had like two to three memberships, and they would buy. You know, they're just buying cases and stuff, and um, which I really appreciate. So that's the way to do it. <laughs> if you really want your beers, what you can get multiple memberships under different names. Yeah, no, you can do. The Dude, same that's kind of crazy, right, Ben? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a little crazy, but actually, there are fun. there are a handful of breweries that are doing these kind of membership societies. I don't know how many of them encourage you to sign up six times and you know get <laughs> right. as many bottles as you. Can possibly do but yeah exactly yeah it's a great way for uh smaller breweries uh especially the ones that are making especially beers that uh you know were one bottle or something you know goes uh goes around so um essentially we made it for them uh for this year's uh release and uh black tuesday with coconuts and um coffee so so the, the process of getting these beers so last night at ginger man i know you had the these different beers, the 18%, 90% stouts and things. So you'll have a very limited allotment, and then what? You just ship them to New York? Um, yeah, essentially for, for yesterday was uh, just shipping stuff that we would never send to it. Well, typically don't make it out to accounts uh, for fairly small releases that uh, uh, we just save for a rainy day, I guess. I mean, we've heard, about, we've heard about new breweries that are doing like CSA-type rollouts. But really, your clubs—that's an integral part of your local. Yeah, it's really important, business, right? Yeah, I mean, we have members in many states, uh, but we can only ship within California. So we'll uh, we'll have uh, f- you know family members uh, in California ship out all over the place, and uh, you know, thanks, mom, for so doing like, that. <laughs> you know how to do it. Okay, <laughs> we won't talk about that, but it's one of those things. And Ben, with you for for beer advocate, I mean. Are, are these some of the stories that you guys cover? I mean, yeah, I mean, we we try to um, uh, sort of balance taking beer seriously, but not too seriously, um, and we want to be um, paying attention to what what's going on in the beer world, what trends are important, what um, what is new and exciting that's happening in beer. Um, we try to stay away from you know top ten lists and you know. Uh, like we were saying before, with pumpkin beers, we're never going to do a story on you know how to have the perfect holiday meal with the perfect holiday beers. Um, yeah, so uh, all all kinds of stuff. We're we're looking at um, the beer scene nationwide, um, not just you know East Coast or West Coast. There's awesome stuff happening in you know tiny little towns in the middle of nowhere, and there's awesome stuff happening in you know smack dab in midtown manhattan at the ginger man and um so that's what we're trying to keep track of and sort of you know catalog i suppose you might say all right what <laughs> what do you want from me <laughs> i just had a chocolate and i can't think anything. yeah tell us so about delicious. tell us about the chocolates Patrick's getting warmed up okay andy from new new chocolate we go way back when you guys first rolled out uh yeah. You used to, we used to have it at Jimmy's number 43, so it's so good to see you, Ian. Absolutely. It's great to be here. So what, what's new with uh, New New Chocolates? Because you make some great stuff. Well, thanks. Um, well, tonight I just brought some of our New New Six Packs, which is uh, six pieces of chocolate. Each one has a different craft beer mixed into the ganache. 
And we always rotate what we have on draft at the shop uh, in Brooklyn. And so that box always changes. So people just look at the side and just they see what's on that's what's on tap. So but so you guys, you when you open your shop, you also you serve beer and wine, right? Yeah, yeah. We figured we're, we're going to be there making chocolates for about 14, 16, sometimes 18 hours a day. Why not leave the door unlocked so people can come in and have a coffee at 7 a.m. or a glass of Pinot Noir at 7 p.m. Or, a, you know, I'm a big craft beer fan. So. so what kind of beers do you guys serve uh in your chocolate shop? Well, anything that's on, you know, that's in these chocolates right here. And uh, we, I mean, from the brewery, we've made chocolates out of uh, Tart of Darkness. Um, the I'm going to mess this pronunciation up, but the, the Roy Broad, is that how you say it? Uh, I, I can't even say it's that beer right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the rye. You know, know. Yeah, uh, yeah from up towards, I think it's... Uh, Which one was it? It's, it's like Woodblow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some Danish guy is just gonna haul off and yeah. punch you. Well, I, I, hey, wait, wait till I wait till I get home because my wife is half Danish, half South African. So I just murdered her language. But whoa, Oscar Pistorius? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> wrong country. But no, no, no. But wrong subject. Uh, yeah, we're just getting wild here. This is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So well, what about so, the um, these like chocolate or excuse me beer infused chocolates? How does that work? How do you get them to well, taste like my favorite beer? We we make a lot of uh, ganache pieces. So uh, basically, a ganache is the softer chocolate that's on in the center, and um, of like something that's harder on, in the shell. And so you do that by mixing cream and chocolate together and you infuse the cream with whatever kind of flavoring you want. So for our Earl Grey truffle, we steep the cream in organic Earl Grey tea leaves and then that imparts the bergamot flavor and then you mix that with the chocolate and that's that's how you get the piece. For this, we substitute the different beers for that cream. So that becomes... Um, what you're working with as as it kind of came from working with both jimmy and ben granger uh, we, we were doing a lot of chocolate and beer pairings we were doing a lot of chocolate and wine pairings and it just ended up being like well why don't we take the the middleman out of the equation and actually use the beer as the ingredient so the pairing becomes one bite but doesn't using beer instead of cream or dairy change the texture, it, it makes it healthier. For sure. <laughs> yeah, it adds so vitamins it and minerals. Yeah. And you know, it actually says, it, I did, it, the funny thing is, I knew these guys for years and I didn't even know. New New Chocolates Beer Box. I didn't even know that all these chocolates were made with beer, man. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick, what do you think? I mean, do you have you done uh, beer and chocolate pairings? This is amazing. Um, we have, yeah, on Valentine's. Well, sorry, you're probably shaking your head. It's very cliche, but uh, uh, Valentine's Day we uh, always, uh, you know, partner up with a chocolatier and do a, a flight of uh, beer and a flight of uh, chocolate, and um, it's it's great for couples to come in and um, yeah, do that before uh, going out to dinner or maybe after dinner as a dessert. Um, but should definitely do it more. What What do you think of the beers that you have? What these like type of ganache, you know, chocolates. What what of which of your beers would go best with them in the pairing? Boy, um, you know, I think uh, our our sour beers would go really well with these. I think uh, I like I like beer pairings that provide contrast. So the you know the tart uh, tartness uh, offset uh, on chocolate sounds really good. That's actually one of the biggest uh, things that I find to be a mistake when. You know, we mentioned what we do, you know, combining these things, doing pairings or using them in the chocolate. A lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, they recommend some imperial stout that already has the notes of chocolate or coffee. And I'm exactly with you, Patrick, where I like the contrast because if you're playing it up, then, then they just kind of meld and you don't really get that unique character to it. So it's it's something where, uh, you know, wow, this this actually creates a whole new thing going on and there's this new dance that's that's happening with the pairing. So I, I don't I, – I, we tend to sh- shy away from things that are already inferred, um, you know, like the big stouts or something. And sometimes that's great, but yeah. that's it's not necessarily 
the right way to go. You could go with some some you know we we use ballast point sculpin all the time, and and that grapefruit really pops out in the hops and um, citrus you know, and chocolate can be really nice. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Um, some of the wheat beers go really well. You would think they would be a bit overwhelmed. Saisons kind of add something. So you just have to find the right balance, but you can let those things play in a really cool way. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I agree. Well, I agree with you agreeing with me. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I like cheers. you so much. <laughs> Let's hug. <laughs> hug on air. <laughs> Well, cheers to everybody. This is fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Ben uh, Granger, what, what's the beer that you brought for us, a growler here? Uh, I brought a couple of beers from uh, Other Half. I brought their uh, Southern Hopolit- Hopolistic and their uh, All Green Everything. Southern Hopolis- Hopolistic is a uh, uh, an IPA all done with Southern Hemisphere hops. And the uh, All Green Everything is their triple IPA, which is a really good time. Uh, Knock on that note, give a shot. Yeah. Our, our our boy Justin Kennedy and his buddy Matt Coates. This summer they they traveled with other half uh, delivery guys one day, and uh, this Thursday, if, if you're in New York City on Thursday, Browery Lane, uh, Matt Coates has a photo exhibit of. He went beyond other half and a few others. He did some photo photos of. Uh, Guy self distributing in New York City, which is one of the very cool things that happens here yeah. too. And then you guys know as Union too, it's like to deliver beer. It's pretty crazy, right? I mean, New York City, what? There's there's stairs, and you got to go. I mean, it must be really hard to. You, people don't realize how hard it is to distribute beer in New York. Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. I mean, you've got people carrying a hundred and sixty plus pound half barrels of beer down flights of stairs. Hopefully, they have like what is a keg slide, which is basically a ladder that you can slide the kegs down. But a lot of the times, those stairwells are too narrow, and you don't have that sort of thing. So it's it's pretty pretty tricky, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a physically taxing thing to do. So. So if you're in New York on Thursday night, <laughs> go to Browery Lane. Check out Matco's photos because they're pretty awesome. And Ben, do you guys ever cover anything like that in Beer Advocate? Like we, yeah, we the cover work it all. of beer guys. And- yeah, I mean, we're not just about breweries. We're about the whole sort of you know beer universe. So distributors, uh, people who make you know sort of cheese and chocolate and, you know, breads with spent grain. Um, uh, We've talked about, you know, working conditions at breweries. Um, You know, our current issue, uh, we talk about uh, craft beer kind of making inroads at uh, sports stadiums um, and uh, sporting venues around the country. Um, So there's, you know, anything that beer touches is fair game for Beer Advocate. And, you know, that's what we're interested in is sort of exploring where has beer culture been and where is it going? Um, That's what we're trying to talk about and uh, celebrate. Congrats on your new job. And is there anything you want to say about the brewery to wrap it up? Um, Make more beer, please. (laughs) No, the Tart of Darkness, I have to say, uh, that was, was that 2012 that, it first, um, you know, kind of appeared nationally. Am I uh, making that up? That sounds right, yeah. So that was my beer of 2012. Um, I was at Carton Brewing, hanging out with Augie. Ben's got their shirt on right now. Shout out to Carton. <laughs> um, I was hanging out with Augie at Carton, and he was like, hey, somebody just left this uh, this brewery beer here. You want to try it with me? And I said, <laughs> well, Sure. And it was tarted darkness, and it blew me away. Um, it was phenomenal. So, yeah, please, I want to say make more beer. <laughs> Working on it. Thank you. All right. And Patrick, anything else you want to say to wrap up the show? This has been a lot of fun. Hopefully it's <laughs> as much fun for you at home. Did you get to eat all your pizza? Yeah. All right, man. Thank you. And ben Granger, what's new with you, man? You're doing some cool – you're making cool yeah, systems. We, I've got a lot of kind of – I have a lot of irons in, yeah, and a lot of irons in the fire right now. Um, but currently uh, I'm uh, helping Andy open his, uh, his tap room in Park Slope. But I am just just freshly launched a company called uh, Pearl Black Innovations, uh, specializing in draft uh, innovations for uh, – uh, bars and restaurants and and and, and breweries and, and things like that. So I'm doing lots of fun, crazy, weird stuff. I will build anything for Last anybody. Last question. <laughs> so at, at our event, our recent event, Pig Island, you worked with one of the uh, the cider importers. Yeah, Rowan. Yeah. And what did you do? You hooked up a, a castle <clears throat> that would shoot 
Slide her out. So uh, I, I worked in the North Spain a long time ago, and one of the things that you see is like that. The cider makers, the cedar makers, have these like big, like five thousand liter Grundies that have like a valve on the side of them, and because the liquid is so low carbonation, it's like a half a volume, a quarter volume. It's a very low carbonation that you have to pour it hard uh, to break the what little CO two there is. It creates a phenomenon called uh, it's not a phenomenon. It's it creates <laughs> carbolic oxalation. So basically, it helps to snap the phenolics out of spe- suspension and opens the cider up. So they have these Grundies, and you open this valve, and it shoots cider out like 15 feet in this tiny, tiny little stream, and you catch that in a glass. And Rowan approached me and said, hey, can you recreate this on a small scale? So I built them one on a small scale. So it's this, you know, 55-gallon oak barrel that's got a smaller jockey box in it and... Uh, I branded because I do, you know, I do a lot of metal work. So I branded the side, you know, with their with their uh, with their branding. But at twelve pounds, it shoots a it shoots a seven foot stream. So I figure, <laughs> like, I w- I'm gonna I'm building them a nozzle for it, and I'm rifling the inside of the nozzle so we get less dispersion over longer, like longer shots. So what I'm hoping is I'll be able to stand like twenty feet away, and they'll just. Quick open and close the valve, and wait, I'll catch so- it all in a glass. Or my mouth. Wait. On a more basic level, if I was going to open a bottle shop and I wanted to have the ultimate growler fill, should I call you? Absolutely, man. Counter pressure yeah. all the way. Growler, uh, growler reform NYC. And you people stop pouring them off of a tap. You, you stop really ruining did. the beer. Cheers to Baron Granger, who really set the standard for growler fills in New York City. All right, guys. And a couple of shout-outs for special events. Again, this Thursday, if you're in New York City, Browery Lane, Matt Coates did this undercover, you know, hangout with self-distribution photo, you know, exhibit at Browery Lane. It's going to be very cool on Thursday night. Also tonight, Guilty Goose, if you're in New York City and you're listening live, uh, Patrick Rue and his team is going to be there at Guilty Goose. Coming up on Saturday, Blocktoberfest. It's the New York City Brewers Guild. They're coming together. They're getting ready for New York City Beer Week. And they're going to have an awesome event in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. And we're producing also October Feast. It's going to be a special event at the Seaport October 11th. Uh, you will see uh, the, the best of German beer. Be United and uh, Shelton Brothers are going to be there with some uh, specialty American beer. So a lot of things coming up in New York City. And uh, thanks so much. I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Patrick, Ben, Ben. And everybody else, Phil and Andy, for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.